seated. I want to dismiss our school-age kids to the back. Um, they're going with Miss April, it looks like, and Miss Tafta. I'm glad it's more than one teacher. It's always encouraging. Um, good morning. Uh, my name's Jason, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, really excited to be with you guys uh, this morning. Can I pray for us real quick? Sure. <laughs> Dear Lord, um, oh man, uh, thank you for the words of these songs this morning, Father, uh, that uh, took our eyes off of ourselves and our problems and our worries and our concerns and lifted them towards you, Father. Father, let us see you clearly. In light of you, all these things that we obsess over are so small, Father. Lord, give us a clear picture and vision of who you are, Father. Speak to our hearts, Father. Wake us up today, Father. Give us sight today, Father. Speak to us today. Let your word be so clear today to us, Father. And as we respond to your word through obedience and repentance and faith, Father, let you receive all the glory today, Father. Father, move in our hearts, move in this room, and send us out today, Father, on your mission. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, we're, we're, as Luke mentioned in our, in our welcome, and by, Luke's on sabbatical, and he's like uh, texting me, hey, can I do welcome this morning? I'm like, okay, dude, okay. Um, and he starts preaching for a minute, and so um, I love it. And um, uh, so we start July, and as a church, we just kind of pause for a month. And as he said, you know, setting all this up, um, especially this morning, um, is, a, is a lot. It really is. And so... And I love today, though, because you come in and there's desks everywhere, and this is a great picture of who we are as a church. Like, it's not going to be pretty a lot. Like, there's not some big grand show. We didn't spend three hours making everything perfect. It's just kind of messy. It just is. But that's the family of God. We're kind of messy. We come here today, we sing songs about God, we talk about God. He changes our lives, our hearts, and we go out and we show him the love to other people. And so, it's very, very simple. And so, but we do a lot of work to make this happen. And this rhythm is a lot, and I love it, but it's always nice. It's nice next Sunday. We're all sweating together at Brownlee Park, eating hot dogs. And but there is this just kind of nice, just kind of pace to this. Um, And today, I want to talk about just how it is how we rest as Christians. How do we actually Sabbath? Because what I've seen in my own heart, and and even in our hearts as a church, is that sometimes Sabbath July means we disengage. Like we just disengage from um, the things of God. Like we equate church to the things of God. Not in church, we equate an organized schedule of events to the things of God. Does that make sense? When Sabbath month is about not disengaging, but re-engaging. <laughs> that sounded way like preachery right there. But it really is about this sense that we're pausing in a sense from the organized, from the events, from all these things and just taking a month to just be to just sit with God and actually just be the church for a month. So it's a small shift, but it's a big shift. I was thinking about this. If you ask anybody you know, well, how are you doing? What are they going to tell you? Busy and tired, right? We're busy and we're tired. Yes and amen. I am busy and I am tired. 
and I'm tired. I'm just tired. And, and we're just tired. Um, listen, some here are tired because, honestly, you are actively engaged in the mission of God. Like, you're tired because you're, like, with your, you see all this brokenness in the world. And you just want to meet every single need. You're here every Sunday at 8 setting up curtains. You're in your neighborhood's, you know, block parties. You're serving downtown at the hub. You're doing all these things. You're participating in the mission of God, and that is good. And yes, and do all these things. But you're working, you're working, and you're working. You look up, and your soul is wasting away. Sometimes in the midst of the mission of God, our marriages are wasting away. Sometimes in the midst of the mission of God, our kids are not finding God. Isn't that hilarious? We go, we make disciples. We have like four kids in our house to make disciples of. Those are our first disciples we, we start with. But we do all these things for the mission of God, and our souls are wasting away. And we're going to keep doing this and keep doing this, and at one point, you'll be done with the mission of God because you don't know the God of the mission. But now some of us are here, Maybe the majority of us that are here, just be honest. We're just tired because we're tired. We're tired um, because we're working for all these things and they're just not satisfying us. Like we work and work, get a promotion, and we get a house. Guess what? That house does not give you rest. We work, we work, and we find a spouse. I promise you this, your spouse will not give you rest. That sounded ugly. I didn't mean it that way at all. Tracy, I promise you I didn't. Um, did not mean it that way. But I can tell you this, um, our spouses do not give us just complete rest. They are a joy and a blessing. They will not give you hope and rest. Well, if I could just have kids, and we do this and we have kids, and the kids will not give you rest. They will not. We do all these things. That boat will give you rest. It'll give you a boat. That's what it'll give you. We're doing all this stuff, all this stuff. But for all of us, the ones who are burned out from the mission, the ones who are kind of indifferent to the mission are just tired. We kind of have all these things. When we get tired, we have these ideas of what rest is. So we think rest equals being left alone. Just leave me alone. And there's some truth to that. I just want to get in the car and drive for a minute. Just leave me alone. Or, or rest equals just watch some TV. Oh, gosh, just leave me alone. Let me watch TV. Rest equals just playing on my iPad or my phone or, or doing whatever you do. Rest equals have money in your account, right? Man, if I just saw like one more zero there, then I could really, really rest. Uh, or, or rest, this is, this is me right here. Rest equals everyone I know being pleased with me or admiring me or thinking highly of me. That if everybody just likes me and thinks I'm great, I'll finally be at rest. Or, or rest equals one day. This beautiful day, I'm going to retire. I'm going to move to Florida. Oh, well, it's always Florida, I don't know why. I'm going to get away from everything and just live my life in peace. And all of us, at some point, we laugh, but our hearts just kind of, we believe lies. We believe a false gospel that these things will provide rest. And all, what we think really brings rest is this, a change in our circumstances. That if life was just different, if my kids were just this age, I said that last night, literally, if my kids were five years older, life would be easier. That we think rest is a change in circumstances. Listen, when your soul starts crying out for these kind of uh, changes in circumstances, hear this. That is your soul 
longing for wrong things. And it's almost like God's giving a flare that you can see that says, I am longing for wrong things. Because we, listen, these are these cultural lies that you hear over every commercial in the world is selling you this right here. Every billboard, every Google ad click, they're all selling this right here. So church, hear this. Our minds are being, being renewed by wrong things. Those are lies that will not bring you rest. They bring temporary rest, but not ultimate rest. So those are lies, and just know that. And so today we're going to challenge three thoughts, three lies in a sense. One is what we actually believe will give us rest. Because we believe wrong things will give us rest. Second thing, we believe we're too busy to rest. Well, I got this and this and this and this. I can't possibly rest. And third thing, we need to change how we actually rest. The nuts and bolts, the functions of how we actually rest. So the first thing, what do we actually believe will give us rest? Well, here's the answer. Here's the true answer, and it's the most churchy thing in the world, but it's just true. It's our first point. True rest comes from Jesus, <laughs> which sounds like, well, yeah, of course. We, we, we know this. True rest comes from Jesus. But church, hear this. All these lies. I love being down here. I can move around. All these lies. True, ultimate, life-longing, eternal, joyful rest come from Jesus and Jesus alone. Nothing else. That's good news for us today. Let's go to Matthew 11. If you've been in church now, you've probably heard this scripture before. Jesus says these words right here. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Who, de- who today feels they are labored and heavy laden? I know you do. We feel so heavy. And he says this right here. And I will give you rest. Verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, he doesn't say, come to me and I'll give you more money. Come to me and I'll give you less kids. Come to me, I'll give you different circumstances. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. He will give you rest. We don't believe that, though, because our lives bear out that we don't believe that. It's so terrible preaching sometimes because you're forced for like a week or two to like just search yourself. Oh, man, I am resting in just terrible things. And you just kind of see this over and over and over in your own heart. So he says, come to me in verse 28. Well, what does coming to Jesus actually mean? So let's just back up for a minute. If you read actually the context of this promise here, You see it in Matthew 11 and in 12, this becomes clear. He's rebuking these cities in Matthew 11 that that have seen all this stuff that he's done and these religious leaders who have seen all these miracles and all these things, and yet the cities and the leaders don't believe Jesus. Doesn't it always shock you when you read Scripture and Jesus, like, you know, does the miraculous things and they still doubt Jesus? Just tell you this, we're the same kind of doubters. Like, we don't like, we're not superior to anybody. We doubt Jesus. Do you have any idea how much God has blessed you in your life in miraculous ways? You're an unbeliever as well. So they, so they, they basically, they don't believe Jesus at all. They don't trust him. And so what Jesus is really saying here is this. He's saying, believe in me, 
Coming to me is actually this right here. Believe in who I claim to be and what I can do for you. He's saying, come to me. What actually, that actually means is you're believing in me and what I can do for you. So coming to Jesus, in a sense, is believing who he is and what he can do. Coming to Jesus is believing who he is and what he says he can do. But he says here, I'll provide you rest. But he tells us to put on his yoke. See, a yoke is it's a thing placed on a, on a beast of burden for work. A yoke is a tool for work. And what's, what's interesting here is we as believers and as Christians, especially in the West, we treat the good news of Jesus as a work for us to do, as a yoke for us. And so, but Jesus here is wanting us to ask this question. What work must we do for him that will give us rest? It sounds counterintuitive, right? What work must we do that will actually give us rest? See, Jesus answers this in uh, John 6, 29. He says this right here. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent me. The work of God is to believe in him. And in John 15, it says, abide in me like a branch, like a branch in a vine. Believe and abide. That is the work that God requires of us. To believe and abide. Rest is believing and abiding in the promises of God and the work of Jesus on our behalf. That is the yoke that you were called to. To believe and abide. And growing up, I was sold this kind of thing to just believe. You go to a, a, a heaven's gates and hell's flame, right? And you believe you don't want to go to hell. And so you believe this, but you have nothing to abide in. And so we go, we just had youth go to camp and had a great experience, I think heard from God, which is great. But if you're older and you've been to camp, you know that feeling, right? That you go to camp, you get fired up, you burn your CDs, you do all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, not the good ones, though. Let's not get carried away. And, um, and uh, not my Garth Brooks. And uh, <laughs> you go to camp, you get out, and you believe, right? You believe, and it's emotional, and it's exciting. But we as a people do not know how to abide and rest in that. We believe once and we just go. All right, I believed it, now I'm going back to work. But what's actually happening here is a yoke exchange. In the cross, Jesus takes your terrible, your gross, your unbearable, heavy yoke. Jesus takes it. The yoke of sin's condemnation the yoke of sin's power, the yoke of sin's penalty, and Jesus takes it all. In exchange, he offers us an easy yoke, a light, a light burden of simply trusting him. So we have this yoke that we cannot overcome, this yoke of our sin, of our condemnation, of our shame. We cannot overcome this yoke. Jesus says the yoke is exchanged for this yoke that is finished. Just trust in my work. That is good news for us today. He does all the work, and we get the rest. See, this is a comforting but also a challenging truth because here's the deal. If he does all the work, it's comforting because we can rest. We love that. But the truth is, the challenging thing is, we only know how to work. We've been taught our entire lives, you are defined by how you work. 
in America, you pull yourself up from your bootstraps and you work, and that is your identity. So it's comforting that we have rest, but it's challenging because we don't know how to rest. It's comforting because God is taking care of everything, but it's challenging because we want control. It's comforting because God rightfully gets the glory, but it's challenging because we want the credit. We want to be able to say that we did this, but we don't get that. There was a yoke exchange if you follow and believe in Jesus. It's in this exchange that this new identity is formed. That's the beauty of rest, of true rest in Jesus. There's this exchange of identity that you go from this identity of being an orphan, right? It's exchanged to being a part of the family of God. It's this exchange of being a slave to being an ambassador for the king. You know, we read, Weston preached last week about uh, the Apostle Paul. And this just great narrative of one of his missionary journeys where he got shipwrecked and terrible things happened. He got bit by a snake. Just take me now, Jesus. That happens to me. Like, I don't want any part of this world with a snake in it. Like, I don't. I'm just telling you right now. Trace is on her own if a snake is in our house right now. And so we need a man to step up. That's what I'm saying. And so, because I am not dealing with snakes. And so you hear these stories, especially of Paul and of Jesus. And even Jesus saying, take up my, your cross and follow me. Those sound so heavy and burdensome, don't they? They sound so heavy and burdensome. But when we truly do the, the, the work of resting, of believing, and abiding, there's this light yoke that we take things in this world so lightly. Listen, things are heavy because we hold this world so in such high esteem. We are not made for this world. Does that make sense? We're living as if this is all we have. When the idea of rest is we have this new identity, this new perspective, this new vision of an eternal life with God. And it makes all these things in life and in the world not seem so big. Because the truth is they're not. Most problems we have are literally like two-day problems. Aren't they? Think about your week this week. The things that you worried about, are they still a problem? That day they were, weren't they? Whatever, listen, this is, this is me. I'm, I'm sitting with you right now. We, we, we just live in this just constant state of worry and anxiety because we're not resting in the right things. But if we don't rest well, believe and abide, we will constantly be having identity issues. And from those issues, we'll try to work in our own power, and we're tired, and this cycle happens over and over and over again. And we come here, and we say, Jesus, what's going on? But here's the deal. If true rest comes from Jesus, if there's truly a yoke exchange where we have this kind of light burden now, if there's true rest found in Jesus, shouldn't that change everything about our lives? Not like, you know, I'll try this on Tuesdays, but if, if there's, listen, if, if, if I'm selling something, for example, I got a product that will bring you rest and joy and peace and security and happiness, I could charge whatever. I could. So if this is a real thing, if the gospel is real, church, it should change the way that we live. It should change the rhythm of your life, the way you parent your kids, the way you can rest, if this is true. 
So now we look at Jesus. Let's go to Mark 6. True rest is found in Jesus. Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away to the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Luke 5. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. The, the news of Jesus was spreading. Think about things going viral in a sense, you know. Like what Jesus had done was spreading. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Here's our next point. True rest can happen even in the midst of busyness. Listen, followers of Jesus should be extremely busy people because we have the greatest message in the world. And we should be passionate about sharing that message. At the same time, followers of Jesus should be the most restful people in the world. We can rest in the midst of busyness because Jesus rested in the midst of busyness. Listen, think about this picture for a second. Jesus sent out the disciples to do this ministry work. And they went out and they did a great work. And they come back and you would think, Jesus said, okay, go do that again. Jesus says rest. But picture this even more. Jesus, imagine a line of people. A line of people are being just healed by Jesus. Lepers being cleansed. Blind can see. Crippled can walk. Just doing an amazing thing. Healing and healing and healing. And they keep coming and coming. And Jesus says, stop. There's a lot of people that are hurting, that are needy, that are sick, that need Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He walks away. That's almost offensive, isn't it, when you hear that? That there is need that Jesus can clearly see, and he just walks away. He just walks away. Listen, there's great need around us. There is. We're called to step in. But hear this. You are not God. You are not God. That's good news today. You, are, you might feel like you're God of your home. You're not God of your home either. Ultimately, you don't control your spouse or your kids. You are not God. You ultimately cannot meet that need and fix that need. The only true way for God to use us is to rest. And Jesus literally modeled that for us. Because Jesus' ultimate plan was to listen to the Father. And the Father would send him on his mission. Many times rest is the most productive thing you can do. We're always thinking about how to get the next thing done. Or even in good ways, how to help the next person. The most productive thing you can do is to rest. To rest is to rest. Is to believe and to abide. Rest was so important to Jesus that he even rested when there was needs to meet. Listen, your ministry will never be as important as Jesus' ministry. Does that make sense? We all thought we were doing great and grand things, and, I, and we are. Listen, you're not as important as what Jesus did. And Jesus rested. Literally, Jesus rested. And see, part of the goal for this next month is for us 
to learn how to rest even in the midst of great need. That's Luke's challenge over sabbatical. It's my challenge over sabbatical. When you, you see need around you, you kind of have like tunnel vision. It's like, okay, just got to do this. I pray to God, say hi to you, say hi to you, and just walk away. That's what you do, literally. And it's hard. But there is this biblical pattern of stopping and resting. And this word you see over and over is desolate. Jesus loves saying desolate over and over again. Go to a desolate place. Go to a desolate, go be alone. Stop. So we see that true rest can happen even in the midst of busyness. But here's kind of our last point. True rest is modeled by Jesus. Look at verse, uh, look at Luke 5 again. Verse 16. It said, he would withdraw to desolate places. And listen, we love that part right there, don't we? Withdraw to a place by myself? Where can I sign up for this? We are all about, listen, we don't have a problem with drawing many times, I don't think. Our homes, our TVs, our social media, or whatever, give truth to this. We have no problem with drawing. But Jesus did not withdraw and eat chips, didn't withdraw and watch TV, didn't withdraw and get on Facebook, didn't withdraw and go hunting. He withdrawed and he prayed. Church, he withdrawed and he prayed. Not wasteful time. He learned, he knew how to speak to his father. And over this month, church, we are, my hope is that we engage and we learn how to actually rest. To rise early. Listen, we rise early for a lot. We rise early for work. We stay up late to watch TV. We take vacation to see places. Turn off the TV. Stop using these worthless methods to bring true rest. We as a church need to grow and learn how to rest. Listen, it's not wrong to turn off and to watch things sometimes and kind of have just kind of some mild. That's not wrong. But here's the truth. That pendulum for us has swung way too far. Where for us, we're almost, I believe, as a, as a culture and probably as a church at a crisis point of being entertained out. That we live for these unrestful things and wonder why we're so tired. We're going to drink water and we're drinking something terrible. I don't know what to call it. We're just going after the wrong things. And I'll tell you, the past few weeks, God has just pressed upon me this, this just picture of, of just talking to God. Of actually praying to God. There's lots of ways for us to rest and commune with God. But for just a minute, I want to talk about prayer of actually stopping. Listen, there's, no, there's nothing out there. There's no music. Just stopping and sitting in a desolate place and crying out to God. Uh, I've been reading a book. Write this down, this book. Ian Bounds, The Power of Prayer. Listen, it's going to be really mean to you, but it's a really, really good book. Um, here's some quotes from that book. Ian Bounds. A desire for God which cannot break the chains of sleep is a weak thing. And will do but little for God after it has indulged itself fully. Gosh, that is us. The desire for God that keeps us so far behind the devil and the world at the beginning of the day will never catch up. We can keep going. 
If God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, he'll be in the last place the remainder of the day. Robert McChain, I ought to pray before seeing anyone. Amen for that. Often when I sleep long or meet with others early, it is 11 or 12 o'clock before I begin secret, secret prayer. This is a wretched system. It is unscriptural. Christ arose before the day and went to a solitary place. David says, early will I seek thee. Thou shalt early hear my voice. Family prayer, we talk all the time about family discipleship, right? Hear this. Family prayer loses much of its power and sweetness, and I can do no good to those who come to seek from me. The conscience feels guilty, the soul unfed, the lamp not trimmed. Then when in secret prayer, the soul is often out of tune. I feel it is far better to begin with God, to see his face first, to get my soul near him before it is near another. Here's the truth. If Jesus brings true rest, then we should change the way we live our lives. So here's my challenge for us. If he brings true rest, the way your life looks, the, your alarm clock, your TV time, your away time, it should and must look different or our souls will wither. And right now I think a lot of our souls are withering because we're resting in useless things. Many times I am resting in useless things. Think about the disciples. They didn't ask Jesus how to preach. They asked Jesus, how do we pray? They didn't ask, well, how do we problem solve? They didn't ask, well, how do we set up this ministry? They asked Jesus, how do we pray? So what if over the next month, just we as a church, what if we just decided to follow the ways of Jesus? We believe, we rest and abide that he's true rest, and we functionally do that by praying. <gasps> We do that. We pray. We have a place in our house that we go and we pray. We rise early. We stay up late. We set alarms on our phones. We plan to actually rest and talk with God. It is sometimes so sad for me to think that, that we are off on this. Does that make sense? that we are so caught up in doing ministry and doing things that we don't have this first thing figured out. And so my challenge is over Sabbath is for us to figure this out. This is, this is for me. This is just for me. And listen, I, I, all the time when I preach, I tell bad stories about myself. And so here's one thing that has encouraged me that I want to encourage you with. Over the past three or four years, I have learned to just pray the Lord's Prayer. Because it is so simple, but it is so rich. It is so proud. Think about this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I was driving this morning at 5.15 to Starbucks to pray and prepare for this. And I knew the building was a mess. I knew this is going on, this is going on. And my soul this morning was done, was tired. And my soul needed to believe and abide in that true rest. So I cried out and I said literally like 20 times in my Honda Pilot, Father, 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 Father. Because I love my kids, but it compares nothing with the Father's love for me. Our Father, not just our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. He's our Father who demands our worship. 
If we, church, if we just pray that line every single day, ten times a day, our heart and our worship for God would explode. Can you imagine that being a rhythm of your life? How would your parenting change? How would your patience change? How would your love for your neighbor change? If you just prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But his prayer continues. It says, his kingdom come, his will be done. Church, my heart every day, many times a day, needs to hear those words. Jason, it is not about you and your plans and your will and your kingdom. It's about God's kingdom coming on earth through you and your family. Every single day, Lord, give us our daily bread. Jason, you are not the provider. Jason, you're not doing this. God is doing this. So as a child, humble yourself and ask your father for bread. But the good bread, the bread of life, right? Not just that weak bread that we kind of feast on and we're still hungry. But Father, give me daily bread. Supply my need for today. Lord, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's always a long part of the prayer right there, right? My debts are very, very long, but I'm very, very clean thanks to Jesus Christ, right? And as we pray and we actually confess our sins, we realize how sinful we are and how much grace we need. And that does two things. It causes worship for God and grace for others. As we ask God to forgive our debts, we forgive others. Does that make sense? And last, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, protect me from myself and the enemy today. What if we as a church learn to pray in the way of Jesus? The way Jesus literally said, pray like this. He didn't say, well, if you want to pray, maybe. He said, pray like this. And we can do lots of prayers, and we should. But what if we just prayed like this? For the next month, it just grew in that habit over and over and over. So true rest comes from Jesus. We can rest in the midst of busyness, and the way we rest should change. It should change. It shouldn't be primarily concerned with kind of what sounds like fun or what we think is restful. We rest in the ways of Jesus. We get away and we pray and meditate on his word. That's what we do. So here's kind of um, my practical challenge for us how to rest over the month of Sabbath. If you look at your cards, your little connection card things, I'm going to bother you for a minute with those. Um, because I want to pray for you over this month. And, and I want to know how you plan on resting. And I've kind of got four spheres I want to talk through of how I would encourage you to rest over the month of July. One, individually. Just you as a disciple and a follower of Jesus, this kind of sphere of your life, how are you going to rest? Here's my challenge. Get away. Nothing in my life happens without a plan. Plan on how an hour a day you're going to get away. How a day a week you're going to find time. How a week a year you're going to find time. Start talking through these blocks of how you're going to do this. Get away. Learn how to rest. So here's my question for you to write down. And maybe write back to me what your plan is. How do you need to learn how to rest over the next month? As I was talking about prayer, maybe you just said, man, my prayer life is just totally non-existent. Or, or maybe you just need to memorize God's Word. Maybe you need to get in the habit of actually reading God's Word. For you, maybe you have just, maybe for you, food is a thing, or, or social media is a thing, and you need to just fast from those things personally for the next month. Let me know how, so I can pray for you, or give you a resource to help you on how you can walk in these things as a disciple of Jesus. 
Second, how to rest over Sabbath with your family. Listen, as we truly abide and believe and rest in Christ, that will change us and overflow to our family. Family worship always comes from personal worship. And so here, just, here's my just blanket challenge I'm going to talk about a lot in the next few weeks. Find a day a week, a night, a morning, a breakfast. So I'm reading this book by Ian Bounds. He's talking about these just great men of faith that would like rise at 3 in the morning to pray for three hours before family worship at 6.30 in the morning. So you read those things and you're kind of excused to go out the window a little bit. When you, 